Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, and my co-host, Cole Miller. Cole, we are at a very monumentous occasion for the Draft Deeper platform because this is it for our big board series. This is 26 through 30. After we get through this, we have no more big board podcast planned. Plenty of podcasts talking about some of these guys, but not certainly in this ranking fashion. So this this is a very exciting moment for me because all along, I've really wanted to build on an educational and a more analytically driven platform. Maybe not like numbers intensive, heavy analytical, but just from, from an analysis perspective, that's really what I want this to be. I don't want us to be arguing back and forth like some talking heads saying this player's definitely better than the other one. So I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish, the growth in the platform overall that we've seen both on social media, in the podcast subscription, the download fields. Thank you so much, everyone out there listening to this show, showing us constant support week after week. I'm always thrilled to be able to talk to some of you on our social media channels, particularly Twitter, share some thoughts, just have some good old-fashioned basketball conversation, just like you and I do every single week on the podcast, Cole. So uh, without further ado, I would like to jump into 26 through 30 here, starting with Dyson Knicks. Now, we've already talked about Dyson Knicks quite a bit in our G League wrap-up last week, and I don't think much more has changed on his evaluation. But one thing I do want to point out, and the numbers are bearing it, while he's only shooting 60% from the free throw line, and you also have to take into account with that number how the G League does things, um, for the most part, it's one free throw counts for two points, or if you miss it, you don't get any points up until the last like two minutes towards the end of the game there. So that number is a little skewed, but the 45.5% shooting from three-point range, I've been incredibly impressed with his deep ball. And that was something that wasn't as advertised coming in. If people had to nitpick about his game, obviously what we talked about last week with the concerns about his body and his overall physical stature in terms of potentially, quote-unquote, eating himself out of a league, but it was also the jump shot. Everyone didn't know how consistent his jump shot would be if he'd be able to stretch the floor. How lethal of a threat would he be from behind the arc to set up everything else he does offensively with the dribble drive game? Now, he's actually hit a lot of pretty big threes. If you break down the film and, and look at when he's hitting the shots, not just the fact that he's hitting them, period. He's stepping up and he's hitting some pretty clutch threes. So, Cole... What are some of the other things you've been able to take away from Knicks now that we've seen him in a few games? We're recording this on, on Thursday, February 18th. Unfortunately, the G League team got blown out <laughs> a little bit yesterday, to say the least. But even in a loss, what are some of the things you've been able to take away and how impressed are you with his, with his jump shooting overall? I think they're back at it in a couple hours, so we'll get to see them right after this. Um, definitely impressed with the jump shooting, as you, as you pointed out. It's just everything about his game, including the jump shot mechanics, are just simple and compact. So I think he will, you know, maintain this level of performance and just get more consistent with it as he gets accustomed to the to the range of the league. Um, and yeah, I don't really think there's an issue at the free throw line because of just how wonky the, the rule is this year regarding that in G League. Um, some of the other things I've been 
supremely impressed with Dacian is that like this guy's body is a house and it works for him just so long as he keeps it, you know, in check and stays lean like he is right now and just continues on this track. Um, he, he gets low on his handle, lower than you think he'd be able to for a guy this size, and he keeps his balance really well. Uh, and once he does that, once he gets a step on you, it's, it's really hard to contain this guy because he's ready to you know, rock you in the chest and get to the rim. Um, he's very good at getting that first step because he's got a myriad of hesitation dribbles and, and really good footwork out on the perimeter that he uses to get by his man. Um, so I'm really interested in, in what Dacian can bring to the table as he continues to get more and more of the spotlight shown on him. Um, I think he's going to be a great defender with that type of body. He's got a really high IQ. I mean, this guy is, is built for the NBA. And, I mean, he might not look like the prototypical point guard, but he definitely can – I think he can play the part. Um, I know – I think after the first game, you and I were commenting off air, if he's – you know, if he can be the lead guard or if he's a secondary guard, I'm starting to slide him more into that lead guard capability. Uh, where do you stand on that? I think he's definitely proven himself to be a floor general just between the pace that he plays the game at, the control that he has in his movement, both passing the ball as well as his own personal movement, getting to his different spots on the court. Nobody rushes him. He plays to his pace. When he does get to a spot, because he's so big and he's so strong, nobody's moving him off of that spot very easily. So he's pretty much able to do what he wants on the court from multiple perspectives. And when you made that comment to me off the air about the different types of hesitation dribbles that he has to his game to kind of set everything else up to catch his man off balance, I originally thought my evaluation more of what he did was set up by his footwork. But going back and, and digging into it a little further in, in some of the time that I had before recording this podcast, I think you're right about the, the different dribble moves that he has to, to set everything up. When, when you talk about guards in this class, period, I, I've been doing a lot of research for, for Jared Butler for the profile that's going to be coming out on the Draft Deeper website. He's one of those guys that isn't necessarily quick twitch, explosive, or, or fast by any means. But what he does have is he's poised, he's patient, he's not afraid to probe into the lane, bring things back out, and kind of reevaluate everything going on around him. And you see Knicks operate this offense for the G League Ignite the same way. And the bright thing about Knicks is that he's younger than Butler. Butler's a college junior. Knicks would be equivalent to a college freshman. So you factor in two extra years of experience that Butler's had playing both guard positions and figuring out how to play with that right break pace and have that patience on the court. Knicks has all of that on top of all the other tools that we've mentioned. So I think if you look at it from there, it's how much higher can Knicks actually rise on potential draft boards or ultimately where he's going to get drafted. Like if you and I had to sit down and, and do this exercise full blown again, we're probably having him higher than like a 26 spot if we're making a big one, right? Like yeah. he he has he has proven to be someone who can come in to an NBA franchise from day one. You can give him the keys. He's not perfect. He's going to make his mistakes. He's thrown some off air and passes that he thought ultimately were there, but they weren't. He he does some some small things like that, but for the most part, he's someone who's gonna keep your team in control. He's gonna run the offense, he's gonna run your sets, 
And he's someone that you can just trust with the ball in his hands, even in some of these late game situations. Like I talked about, he's hitting big shots. He's making the right decisions, stepping up and hitting a three when needed. So I've just been really impressed at how mature Knicks has been overall. That's probably the best word I can use for his game. Yeah, absolutely. He's got legitimate triple-double uh, potential at the next level, and uh, we definitely would have him higher had we get a second chance to redo this list, and he'll definitely be somebody we highlight going forward a lot any chance we can. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, usually when we're talking about these prospects and we're running down these rankings lists, I'm usually the first one who to, to have a word on the prospect, but given what you just said to me, off the air, who you have at number 27, Alperin Sangoon, <laughs> calling him Enos Cantor Plus or Enos Cantor 2.0. I want you to expound upon that thought for the audience here to maybe give people who haven't seen him play just a little bit more insight into to what he brings to the table. Um, he's He's been one of the most productive players at his age playing in a major league like the Turkish Super League. I mean, he's putting up 19 points a game, almost 10 rebounds a game, definitely throwing in some nice little dazzle passes here and there that if you follow any kind of draft coverage on social media, you've definitely seen some of those highlights if you've seen Sengun's name pop up. So um, where where does the Cantor 2.0 stuff come from? Does he remind you particularly of anybody else? And kind of paint the picture for the audience as to what his game looks like as a big man. Yeah, so I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking by saying he reminds me of Cantor in ways. Um, I'd also say that he's a little bit of, uh, he's got some Zubach in him just from the post work that he does. But his offense is, you know, his scoring is pretty much derived from a classic post off uh, back to the basket type game where he has really advanced footwork and really advanced ball fakes for his age. Uh, and he uses his body well, not overly, doesn't use it a ton, but he uses it when he needs to and efficiently to bump guys at the right time so that he gets a clean look at the basket. Um, so he's just really intelligent down on the block. Like this kid is a scoring machine down there. He finishes on rolls. He finishes, you know, pretty much everything around the basket. If he gets an offensive rebound, he's going back up with it and scoring that too. So you can count on him to do that. And then as you hinted, uh, I think the offensive potential goes beyond that. So like I said to you off air, I think he's got more potential than Cantor. Um, Cantor has just been, you know, that he's been a microwave uh, center almost, which is rare, but I think that's what he kind of has become in the league. And I see more for that uh, out of Alpin. I think he can continue to round out his game offensively. Uh, this kid has led the break at times in transition and made dump off passes like a guard would, uh, you know, with the same kind of body motion and mechanics. So it's really impressive to see him do that. It seems like his body has gotten better. Uh, within the last, you know, 12 to 16 months. So if that continues to happen, I think, you know, you can continue to dream on him a little bit more uh, rounding out his game. Uh, I think defense is probably the biggest concern. He's pretty good down low. He gets his block shots uh, based off timing, I think, mostly. Uh, but he's got work to do when it comes to being able to stretch out his defense. Uh, what have you seen so far from, you know, what you've caught? Uh, do you think defense is the biggest concern? And uh, what do you think his offensive ceiling could be? It is for me, and I don't think I'm saying anything groundbreaking either when we want to talk about his defensive upside. Obviously, everything is tied to what he can do defensively around the basket, but he's not hes not the quickest of players, right? Like, no. when, when you talk about big men, everything that comes from Sengun's game comes from his ability to set others up. You talked about some of his 
uh, break starting, a lot of that is is majority hit-ahead passes. Like, he's a really good passer. And a lot of that comes from his IQ and his ability to process the game at a very high level. Um, so when it comes to an offense perspective, that's really what he's bringing to the table. Defensively, he's he's not going to be a guy that you can trust uh, covering a lot of s- different switches on the perimeter, right? Like, he's going to get blown by. He, he doesn't have good feet in that aspect. But when he's going up against or guarding against other big men, he's quick enough to contain guys more in his realm, right? Guys around his size. And you mentioned his body. Yeah, his body's improved leaps and bounds. I was looking at some photos of him from just even like a year, year and a half ago compared to where he is now. He he looks so much to me and reminds me so much of uh, Demonis Sabonis. Now, mm-hmm. there are some things about Sabonis's game that I don't know if this kid will have. Just in terms of like we, what well, one of the big points we've really hit home over the last few weeks has been these big men need to at some point show that they have like this mean streak, this nastiness to them, right? Sengun doesn't have that. He he's a very 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 finesse big man. You can tell that he he doesn't necessarily average a ton of free throw attempts per game. Although when he gets to the line, he's shooting almost eighty one percent. That that's pretty impressive. Um, but. He, he finds different ways to do things other than being mean as a very finesse player. And that goes, comes back to the defense of it as well. If he doesn't have like that fire in him to really get after and challenge guys, particularly on the perimeter when he gets switched out defensively, some guys just have it and some guys just don't. Like sometimes there really isn't much film or, or, or game to dive deeper into. Sometimes it really is as easy as that. So he, he's not like this all world defensive player he's really effective around the basket when he can get his hand on a block shot when he can go up against somebody similar to him in size but while we have those concerns about him defensively offensively man i'm telling you this this, i i i do not see guys in the post pull off around the back passes as easily as he does you really have to go back to somebody like demonis or his his father arvidas Jokic, like I'm not going to call him a Jokic-level passer because Jokic can quite literally run like the point guard position for you. Sengun can definitely set guys up, and he can do it in a pinch, but he's not like a full-time lead distributor like Jokic is. But just on on some of those really quick um, high-low actions or like those quick around-the-back passes that he does to to a fellow big man, like some of those not real distance in between passes you see him make, I mean, they are impressive. He's fitting that ball in some tight windows. And it is very rare for a big man to have that kind of skill, period. So you factor in that his footwork around the basket, he has a really good post-up game. He's starting to stretch that out, his his shot from the paint a little bit. Not, not a great three-point shooter just yet, but that's fine. He's not really attempting many of them. And as we pointed out, the free throw percentages certainly bear out to him, eventually extending his shot. If it doesn't go as, as far as the three-point line, maybe it at least stays home to like the free throw line and he's able to consistently knock down some, some pick and pop jumpers in the mid range there. So I, I really like his game offensively overall. An interesting question that I have, we, we talk about these international prospects with size who are coming out with the ability to handle the ball and pass. Pokusevsky was a big hit last year for, for draft Twitter and people on social media. Um, would you take, Pokusevsky over Sengun, or would you definitely stick with Alp on this one? Because I think if if we were comparing both of the prospects, 
similar in size. Pogusevsky's, I think, is a little taller. Obviously, Sengun has more meat on him, even though he he kind of has a slender frame himself, but he still has some more muscle on him. He's not going to be bullied anywhere close to the basket. But offensively, how they want to operate, other than Pokusevsky really starting to just bomb threes whenever he has the chance in the G League, he didn't necessarily do that all the time when he was playing overseas. Comparing two big guys, who would you take? Would you take Pokusevsky, take a chance on him, or would you take Sangoon and, and we really think that we should be hammering home the Sangoon bandwagon? I think I'm, I would take Sangoon pretty easily there. Uh, I think I can rely on him to at least protect the rim and score buckets. Uh, you know, I definitely can rely on him to score buckets. I'm not sure how Pogosevsky is going to get his offense right now, uh, besides bombing away, like you said. Uh, he's sort of a miscast right now until he beefs up, and Sengren's body has already shown the ability to improve, and that might not be done. So, yeah, I think the arrow is really pointing up for Alp, and um, you said you mentioned his shot, you know, probably only getting better from here on out. That's only going to make his passing that, that much more deadly on the offense. If he can mm-hmm. extend... You know, if he can extend defenses out, his passing becomes even better. And I've seen, I've seen him, you know, at times on occasion, bust a change of dribble move from the perimeter and drive the lane and like, you know, then kick to a shooter and not run anybody over in the lane. And it's like, holy crap. I mean, he does it from time to time. So I think, I think there could be something more in his offense. And that's why I said the canter plus. Um, yeah, no, I think the arrow's pointing up. I think he is another guy. If, once we get some more footage on, he's going to be well beyond where we have him ranked right now. I love these guys who just know how to get to a spot. They might not be the quickest of players, but they just know how to get to a spot. They know how to set up where they're moving. They know the type of footwork that they need to have to pull off a certain move. Like just these really smart guys who understand positionally where they're at on the floor, the different angles that they have to take to get to a certain spot. I just love guys like that. Maybe, like I said, that it's coming up a lot more because of all the Jared Butler stuff I've been studying over the last <laughs> week. But Sengun does a lot of the same things from from a big man perspective in terms of you look at him, he's, it's not like he's moving that much quicker than anyone else on the floor, but he just gets to his spots. Yeah. And when he gets to his spot, he has enough strength and he certainly has the touch to be able to hit a shot from from virtually anywhere around the paint. Like, 63% shooting from the field overall in the league that he's playing at, at the age he's putting up these numbers. I, I heard somebody say on, on Twitter like three months ago when they were evaluating some of the stats, maybe it wasn't that long, maybe it was like two months ago, when they were looking at some of the stats he was putting up, and that was really my first introduction into who he was and what he might be able to bring to the table as a prospect. But when you're that young, as young as he is, and you're able to produce at such a high level – in a real grown man's league. Like we're not talking about the league that like Giannis came from, like, like the, mm-hmm. the, the, the C level Greek league. Like we're, we're talking about a man's man league. It's you have to pay attention to him and you have to rank him as a first round prospect. I really don't see any other way around it, especially considering how potentially weak this international class is finding those bright spots, finding those diamonds in the rough who maybe you don't even truly believe that they're ready to come over and make an impact from day one in the States. At the end of the first round, somebody's always looking for like a draft and stash candidate too. So you, you have to put your thinking cap on to look at it from that lens. So yeah, I think Sengun absolutely needs to be 
a first round target, no arguments there. How high do you think he can rise on, on people's boards or maybe how high do you think he can rise in the draft? Or do you think he's going to kind of sail under the radar a, a little bit? Cause he's not like this flashy name or, or doesn't have this very unique body skill set combo. Like, like Pokusevsky did coming out last year. I could definitely see that playing a role if he does stay, uh, you know, if he ends up getting drafted where we kind of have him ranked right now. If there's a combine and he gets invited and, you know, he gets to play and show out, I think that could change people's opinions. Um, I kind of see the ceiling for him draft pick-wise as like 18, 19, but probably more likely in the 22 to 26 range. Yeah, which comes from exposure, right? I, I think yeah. that's probably the only thing holding him back from from being ranked higher at this point. Again, I think if you and I were redoing this exercise, we would definitely have him higher. Yes. Um, so that that's kind of where we're at on, on Sengun. Another guy who we're probably higher on than most yes. at this point, which is surprising to me because I love this dude. We've talked about him a ton on this podcast. Joel Ayayi, I have him at 27. I had Sengun at number 28. You have the reverse. Talk to me, Cole. Why isn't Ayayi going to get as much love as you and I think? he deserves in the first round of this upcoming 2021 draft? Um, because he plays on a team with Jalen Suggs and Corey Kispert, <laughs> who are probably top 10, top 12 picks. And until the field of, you know, until the scope really narrows down, and that doesn't happen until March Madness, in my opinion, uh, you know, then we don't really start seeing these guys on, you know, the, the, guy, the second and third or fourth guys on these stacked teams really start to show up. But I would bet my, you know, I'd bet a lot that Joel I is going to show up in a lot of big ways and a lot of different ways for the Gonzaga Bulldogs this coming March Madness. And it's going to make people reconsider. Um, so I think, yeah, I just think right now it's a matter of there's a lot going on and Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs are attracting most of the spotlight. But once the field starts narrowing down, people are going to see Joel, Joel and for what he is. He's a more versatile offensive weapon that I think a lot of people give him credit for. Like when you think of Ayayi, I think the the public picture that's been painted to this point is as this three and D type prospect when that's not necessarily what he is. Like, yes, he can make standstill jump shots. Matter of fact, he's one of the better shooters in the country when he's unguarded. So clearly that's something he's going to be able to bring to the table in the NBA combined with a lot of the other ways that he can score the basketball off, off simple cut actions off of a lot of his off-ball movement, his transition game. So he's one of those guys who knows how to manufacture easy points, and he can do it at a high clip. But you factor in the defensive end, the numbers bear out he's actually been more disappointing than I thought he would be. And I want to just take you through some of these defensive numbers and, and, and the audience as well. He's in the 32nd percentile in total defense. He's poor defending off screens, and he's only average defending spot-up looks. Um, he, he's very good to excellent in other areas, particularly around the basket. He certainly holds his own. That Part of that's because of his size for the wing spot. Like If his man takes him off the dribble, somebody gets a step on him, and he gets as far collapsed back as to the basket, he's not going to let anyone just bowl him over. The other part of that is his length. He's an incredibly long wing defender. So having that plus wingspan certainly helps when we're talking about contesting shots around the basket, getting deflections, blocking shots. That certainly plays a part into it. But the synergy stats pretty much bear him out as he gets worse on defense the further he moves away from the basket. Now, 
if I'm going back and watching some film, I think I would attribute that to the fact that he's not the quickest of athletes on the wing, which if we're talking about for a first round prospect who doesn't necessarily bring anything new from a creation standpoint on offense, like he's not going to be like a first, second or third option on offense. He's kind of like a junkyard um, junk type scorer who can bring some effort defensively and not be like this major negative, but given where he's at now, what those numbers bear him out to be, there are concerns. I mean, can you really let some of those athletic concerns and some of those defensive concerns slide given where you and I would have him draftable because of all the different things we see on offense and how he can contribute, potentially be like this off the radar, like triple double type threat from night to night. Can we let those defensive concerns slide? And and what are your thoughts on why he may be struggling overall on the defensive end of the floor, Cole. It's definitely the one area of his game that gives me the most pause. And honestly, over the last couple of days, made me reconsider having him in, in my five for this podcast at all. Um, pretty astounding when you see the numbers. Uh, didn't didn't expect that given his you know uh, above average size at the guard spot. Uh, I think some of it is attributed to maybe he's miscasted as guarding maybe the better player on 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 Gonzaga's opponents, but then again they're playing the West Coast Conference, so I don't know. He really should be locking down anybody he faces out there, in my opinion. Well, at the it's same that, time, they've had a, they've had a tougher non-conference schedule though, so that, that's fair. That, that's probably been balanced out the most this year out of any other year that they're playing basketball, at least in this high priority setting that I can remember. Like right. usually they'll play maybe like two or three major opponents. And then the rest is going to be your, your typical West coast fair. And then the cupcakes that they have in the conference, they weren't able to feast quite like that this year. They played more than two to three high profile type games, at least when you're talking about the names of the schools that they played. So that that is something that actually bears out slightly in Ayayi's favor is that this is probably the toughest year of basketball he's had to play at Gonzaga up to this point. It hasn't been as cupcake written. Yeah, so I mean, factor that in a little bit. Uh, factor that in. Factor in maybe his offensive responsibilities are a little bit greater. It's a concern, but I think there are ways to hide him at the next level, especially if you're just, you know, I really think there is something to him offensively as a super role type player. He's got that junk, you know, in his game, like you said. He kind of scores in in, in three type ways, in three-man type ways, but also has the handle of a one uh, security-wise. He's really good in pick and roll, and he is going to be able to play make, I think, play make for others out of that. Um, uh, he sort of, if this makes any sense to you, he's sort of like a Monte Morris, but with like an offensive three game. I don't know. He, he like he's really sound with the ball. He makes really sound decisions on offense. He can cut. He can just pick up the responsibility in a certain area of the game whenever his team needs it. Um, he's just you know he he kind of fills in. He's definitely a consummate glue guy, I think, and I think he's you know the best one this draft has, which is why we have him so high, and think all of that will translate pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean he has a nine point nine total box plus minus. He's in the ninety second percentile in total offense, so it's not like. When, when we talk about our disappointments for him, yeah, those defensive items are a concern, but he brings so much to the table offensively that we've gone into in detail at multiple points on this podcast in terms of his overall poise, his maturity, his willingness to come in, grab the lunch pail, do the dirty work. Like That's just the type of player that he is. I love guys like that. I think if you can find somebody like that, if you're a good team later in the first round, I say you don't wait and let somebody else snatch him up 
I think you jump on that opportunity, you take them, and you don't think twice about it. And that's just kind of how I feel about Ayayi. And it's not like – that was a great point that you mentioned, that maybe he's just not this individual ball stopper on defense, but that doesn't mean that he can't succeed in team concepts, particularly with the fact that he plays with such great awareness. He is a heads-up defender. He has that length that we mentioned. He can play passing lanes, certainly – um, take a steal on the break, get in transition, and make the right play with the ball when him and the rest of his team get up in the half court in those transition sets. Like, he is a playmaker through and through, whether whether he can be more of a dynamic scoring threat at the NBA level remains to be seen, but you would at the very least know that you mentioned his ball security, he's taking care of the ball, not really committing a lot of turnovers given the offensive responsibilities that we've seen him have. And those responsibilities, by the way, have absolutely changed from game to game. Like he's someone who will step up and have a fantastic night score of the ball um, during one game. The next game, he might not be asked to do that much because Kispert's lighting the whole world on fire from three <laughs> or Suggs actually keeps himself under control, doesn't get in foul trouble, plays most of the game, and he's going off for, for points himself, or maybe Drew Timmy's getting a lot of post-up looks. There's so many different guys on that team that Ayayi's responsibilities change from night to night, yet you never see his demeanor change from night to night. He yeah. comes in every single game with the same mindset, the same approach, and that could be tough on a young guy who might be trying to prove himself ready for the NBA but your role and your responsibilities just change so frequently because of the guys you have around you. Like if I came into work every day and it's one day it's, Oh, I have this much responsibility. Then the next day I'm asked to like lead the department. Then the next day I'm asked to like go back into like my, my closet desk role. Like <laughs> at, at some point, like some kids would just break under, yeah. under the pressure of just playing for a major program like that. You're expected to win night after night after night and just, sometimes figure out your responsibilities and your role on the fly. But Ayayi is as consistent as they come. So uh, some nights he can have an off shooting night. It happens to the best of us, but generally he's contributing in other areas and, and being a positive for his team overall as the numbers bear out. So I think when you and I talk about our, our, our passion for drafting Ayayi in the first round or certainly painting him as that kind of target, I think that's more of where it comes from his, his versatility and his mindset overall versus the different upside intricacies that could play a part to his game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you read my mind with that analogy there. He is, you know, he's pro ready from a mental standpoint. He's probably got the, he's probably the best at being adaptable in this whole draft. And I think those things matter when it comes to the NBA, especially when you're looking for guys who are just going to be able to contribute and, you know, fill a role at the next level. Um, so many times these third and fourth guys on championship teams or really stacked college teams that are upperclassmen end up being big-time role players in, in playoff situations. So I don't see that being any different for Joel, and I don't think you either. You do either. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So moving into our last two guys in the 26 through 30 here, probably where we're going to have more of a bulk of the conversation would be Cam Thomas and Isaiah Todd. Now, we talked about Todd a little bit last week because of covering the G League. I don't think a lot more has changed in my evaluation of him from a positive standpoint. What I will say is that you and I both think that he's a bright kid at the end of the day. He's learning a lot. He's going to figure a lot out playing with this G League Ignite team. I came out and said last week that I thought that he's probably has the most to gain from an experience like this out of the other guys that he's playing with because of how raw he was coming in. But 
he does some stuff on the court, man, where I'm just left shaking my head and I'm just like, come on, man. And I'm not even talking about like the, the self alley-oop that he tried to pull off in, in their first <laughs> game. I'm just talking about some of the passing reads that he tries to make some of the scoring moves he tries to make off the bounce. Like he'll settle for some things. And I'm just like, I'm just like, come on, man. Like I, I, I know you're still learning the game. I know you're still trying to figure out where you fit within the offense, but there are just some moments I feel uncomfortable with his offensive attack overall, unless he's like spotting up for a jump shot, which is crazy because you and I both shared the point last week. We didn't know that that was going to be as apparent in his game as it has been here in the G league. And he's, while he's only shooting 50% from the line, again, some flaws in the numbers because of that free throw system that the G league has been using, but 50% from three, I don't think you and I, would have predicted that that would have been one of his stats through, through at least this portion of the G league season, but that 38% shooting overall can paint the picture for some listeners. Just wanted to look at some numbers and get an idea of who he is that shot selection and where he decides to go with the ball at certain points of the game. Those are issues that have to be overcome at some point for me to consider him higher than like a, a 30 spot or even like a 29 spot, like where you have him. Um, you have Cam Thomas 30, I have Cam Thomas 29. So why don't, why don't we start with Todd? Have you noticed anything over their last few games that have given you hesitancy or are you kind of operating more on like the glass half full camp and, and you're just really trying to focus on the positives, what he's done already and let that paint the picture for how you see him as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, I mean, we only have five games to work with, so I still think you have to focus on some of the plus tools and attributes that he has shown. Um, but the, the weaknesses are definitely there. Uh, you are not wrong with where he might, where else is he going to get his offense unless he's kind of spotting up. Um, but he does that pretty well. And I think as shocked as you are, I'm as equally shocked. He moves off screens shockingly well for a guy his size at 6'10 and, and his uh, lever length. And he's pretty fluid and, and compact and the uh, shooting motion is pretty repetitive also for a guy of his length and his size. So, that is pretty surprising, and I think it's a skill that he'll have. He's sort of like a 3 and D guy right now from the forward spot. Um, some of the things I have been impressed on with him outside of the, the shooting, I think he's a pretty good rebounder. I've seen him get plenty physical, keep his man down while also corralling the rebound. I always think that's pretty impressive, especially for a young kid like him. Um, I think he reads the game moderately well. I think he tries. I think he gets the idea that he can do a little bit more than he can sometimes, and I think that just needs to be reined in. And he really is in the, in the perfect setting to have that happen over the next couple of weeks. Um, what are some of the things you're looking for for him to you know, continue to show, you know, even tonight and going forward, for him to maybe even move up on the draft board or you know, at least firm up this spot for you? I think just in my mind, I want to see him play more to his strengths and possibly dig a little bit deeper into his off-the-ball bag, at least offensively. I think at times he's tried to do a little too much with the ball in his hands. Kind of like, hey, I've been working on these things behind the scenes out mm -hmm. in California during the practice periods. Let me see if I can pull some of these things off in a G League game here when it might be a little too soon to reach into the bag. Like, for example, like getting somebody off the dribble and trying to like bullet fire a pass to like the other end of the court <laughs> to the point where like the guy's not there, nobody's standing there, and that's leading to a turnover. Um, some of the shots that he's tried to take off the dribble where he, he's gotten himself in the, in, in the trouble in traffic where he has like two or three other guys there and he's trying to put up this like contested pull-up jumper when he probably could have stopped 
about two dribbles prior and settled for a mid-range jumper that while he might not have necessarily had the perfect balance, maybe that's not something he's 100% comfortable doing at a high rate quite yet. He probably would have at least had a better look to the point where it wasn't contested by like two or three other guys. So it's just like simple little decision-making like that, maybe choosing to relocate himself and get open for another jump shot or a cut to the basket for like an alley-oop versus trying to just like run around the floor and just go, hey, I can get the ball, right? I'm open, pass it to me and let me do something off the dribble. Just kind of those things I want to see more improvement in. And I think he's going to get there because when he has appeared locked in to play more of like an off-ball role, you mentioned the athleticism. We talked about his athletic package last week. The dude is quick. He moves his feet incredibly well for someone his size. He, as we've been talking about at length here, he can knock down open perimeter shots, which you you watch him nail a high enough clip of these perimeter jumpers. Like I'm starting to think that like that four, three mold for him isn't as much out of the question as I thought it would be. Now his, his handle's not broken. I think more of what he does off the dribble just needs to come from him recognizing the game at a better level, him just choosing his spots better sure. overall. But the, the upside is there for him to be this like really intriguing four, three prospect. But a lot of that's just going to come from more film study some more experience, some more reps, some game understanding. Um, so that's kind of what I want to see him improve on, at least from an offensive perspective. Defensively, you and I talked about last week, if his body can come around more, we think that he's going to be more effective as a defender, more, more around the basket in the painted area. Per, on the perimeter, he, he has proven now that he's quick enough to, to hang with almost anybody on the perimeter. I think you mentioned that you could see him being like a potential two through four, two through five kind of defender depending on his matchup and where his coach wants him on the floor. I, I agree with that assessment at this point, particularly like these last two games. It, it, it takes a pretty quick and dynamic ball handler to like outright beat him when he's trying to guard somebody away from the basket. Like that, that's, that takes effort. That takes lateral quickness that big men, or at least guys his size at 6'10", usually don't have. He is an impressive prospect from that physical standpoint. So yeah, there, there's plenty of positives to, to, to talk about. What are kind of some of your thoughts to, to wrap up Todd on some of the points that I made, particularly about his offense? Yeah, I think for Todd, it's, it's the defensive ability already to be able to guard on the perimeter and down low. Um, you know, he's willing to learn on both sides of the ball. He shows a great attitude. Uh, and, he, you know, he's got plus athleticism, and I think his body's going to get really, really good. It might be a few years off for him uh, when the skill all comes together, but the end game package could be you know, an all-star type player, I think, for Isaiah Todd. Absolutely. Absolutely. Certainly uh, a high enough ceiling. If he pulls a lot of it together, then, yeah, again, another example of we'd have somebody too low. Yeah. Last guy on the board, Cam Thomas. 6'4 guard, LSU, freshman almost 23 points per game, three rebounds, two assists per game. Slash line isn't great until you get to the free throw shooting. 40% from the field overall, 29.5% from three, but 90% from the free throw line on seven and a half attempts per game. So that is his bread and butter. That's where he's getting a lot of his offensive production from. On top of, he, he likes to take his healthy diet of threes as well 7.7 three-point attempts per game so clearly 
when when you look at a lot of what he likes to do offensively, he's he's taking the James Harden route or the the Daryl Morey offensive efficiency route. A lot of drives to the basket, draw contact, get to the line, convert when you can there, take your healthy diet of threes because three is greater than two. That's that's how he's operated a lot of his game. Uh, but he wasn't on my radar as a freshman to watch. He certainly has been on everyone's radar now, particularly with how efficient he's been overall in terms of scoring the ball and operating within the offense. 83rd percentile in the country in total offense, good to excellent in every single play type. One thing that, that you mentioned to me is that he's excellent um, in pick and roll situations as a ball handler, he's excellent in pick and rolls, including passes. So not only is he able to get downhill in those actions, he's also able to create something out of them, be it a nice little dump off pass to the roll man, or just rising up in the mid range and being able to get off a shot when he needs to. And and that's, that's to me who he is. He's a score first, score second, score third kind of guy who can play make in a pinch, but Man, does he love shooting that rock. He's he's a junkyard scorer, about a, 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 as, as junky as they can come. I, I said to you when the season started, if, if someone was a Skylar Mays fan, then they're probably going to be a fan of Cam Thomas because I think as far as their games are concerned, they do a lot of the same type of stuff or they look to do a lot of the same type of stuff. So I don't see him as like this plus playmaker. Again, he can make the easy reads, but I don't really see that being a focus or a primary part of his game when he gets to the NBA. He's going to be someone who's looked at to just get out there, get buckets, shoot the ball with his size, and and make things happen potentially in a starting unit. To me right now, he seems more of like a guy who's probably going to find a better home on the bench than he is a starting unit, but that might be selling him too low. And one of your points to me, Cole, I'd be curious to hear what your take is on Camp Thomas. I haven't really heard you talk about him too much, but you made the point that we might be selling too low on this kid because of how effective he's been on offense. Yeah, so dating back to you know his junior year when he got to Oak Hill Academy in high school, the guy's just been lighting it up on offense from a scoring standpoint. He broke the record in, at Oak Hill in two years of playing there which is pretty astounding, and then he's translated that scoring to 23 points a game uh, immediately in college. You know, he's really adept at picking up fouls. He might be the best guy we've talked about who, uh, who can get to the line. Oh, 100%. I, There's yeah. no, no question it, he's the best. And it's not close, right? Line. Yeah. Right. So, and, and on top of that, he's not a black hole with his offense. He scores off quick, you know, quick action stuff, motion, uh, and, and then, you know, like you said, with the pick and roll, he gets downhill and he's scoring quick, and he's going you know, to get downhill pretty quick. So he's got scoring pretty, lo- pretty much locked down. I think you clean up some of the three-point shooting that he gets in, you know, that he sometimes runs in, run into trouble with his slot- shot selection there. Uh, he, he takes some crazy catch-and-fade type J.J. Redick-type shots from when J.J. was back at Duke. Um, but cleaning some of that up, and I think you might have a guy who's capable of doing a little bit more. Yeah, he's going to be able to play making a pinch, like you said, but I wouldn't even put it past him to be able to, to do it at a better rate than, than you're giving him credit for. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I don't want to rule it out on him yet either. He's just been asked to score for the last three years, and he's clearly sees the game at a, at a well enough level to do that. So I would give him some uh, opportunity to at least see if he can round out his game as a playmaker. If not, I think you're at worst looking at, you know, one of the better microwave guys to come through in a while, and it, it, there's not much difference in him than Jordan Clarkson, in my opinion, from a t- potential impact standpoint. Uh, 
down the road for him in the NBA. What do you think about that as a type of player path for him? Oh, that's that that's probably the the best outcome and like one of the more perfect comparisons you could probably have for Cam Thomas. If he ends up being like a Jordan Clarkson level scorer, reliable playmaker in a pinch, but like an automatic bucket off the bench when he's given enough shots, he's going to be a flamethrower, put up like 20 plus points a night. That that is like his ideal outcome. And and by the way, some people would underrate that player to an extent because, oh, Jordan Clarkson, he's just going to go out there. He's going to shoot the ball a bunch of times. That's all he's going to do. Well, even if, even, even if it is all he does, he's constantly putting up these like 20 plus points efforts off the bench. Like he's not on good numbers. Like he's not playing as many minutes in the first half because of his bench oriented role, but he's finding himself in closeout lineups with the Utah Jazz. And there's a reason why Utah has been so damn good this year. It's because of that man, mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson. He is He's the best bench player this year. He's probably been one of the better bench players in the league for a number of years. We just don't recognize him in the same way for whatever reason as like a Lou Williams or somebody like that. Like he is, he is a super scorer off your bench, you could absolutely start in a pinch and he's not going to bogger down your, your your starting lineup. So, yeah, that, no. that would be a brilliant outcome for Cam. Yeah, and Clarkson's three-point shooting in college is, is uh, redshirt junior year in Missouri. You know, he shot 28%, you know, sort of like Cam Thomas. But now, 10 years later, he shoots 38%. And I think Cam Thomas has the mechanics and the shot ability to, to do that. He just has to clean up, you know, the selection. Jordan Clarkson had to do some of that, too. Um, but the kid gets crazy uh, lift on his jump shot, so he's going to be shooting over guys, no problem. So I really do think Cam Thomas, at worst, is you know is a microwave guy in his own right, like Clarkson, and maybe there's more of that point guard in him too, uh, as he gets more opportunity to show other things than just scoring the ba- basketball. The one thing I will say in in Cam's defense, I haven't given probably enough to this theory, but when you watch LSU. I really don't think they're that great of a team offensively coached. Like they, it's not like they're without talent on the offensive end. Like Trenton Watford's a guy who at his size can get a bucket for you. Javante smart certainly isn't allergic to scoring from the perimeter um, from that point guard position, but it seems like everything this team wants to do is just dribble, 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 look around like, Hey, I can get the ball over here. Great. If not, I'm just going to put up this shot. And majority of the time, it seems like that falls into Cam Thomas's lap, right? Like he gets stuck with a lot of possessions for the LSU team where we might go and say the numbers don't look as great because of shot selection. But we also have to factor in the context of that shot selection, which is something that I talked about at length with some of the guys in the 2020 draft class on this podcast. But Cam Thomas might have to be given the same benefit of the doubt and somebody who we should appreciate more from an offensive standpoint if he's just has so much responsibility that constantly just falls into his lap and he has no choice with some of these shots but to just take them whether they're from the mid-range whether they're from three that absolutely plays a part into his outside shooting percentages particularly from three because your jump shot cannot be broken if you're shooting 90 percent from the free throw line on that many attempts per game. Like it just, it just can't be, I I would refuse to believe something like that. Like I think that cam can absolutely come into the NBA with better players around him where he's getting a lot more offensive looks within rhythm 
And that three-point percentage probably spikes up next year from like this 29.5% that he's around right now to probably like 36 37% in the NBA. Like that number is going to spike. So yeah, it's important. And, and this is just another opportunity that you and I have to where we can't just look at the numbers and expect those statistics to paint the entire picture for us. We need to look at everything from a contextual standpoint. That means breaking down the film, watching some of these possessions and taking the why into account versus just the result. I think you're spot on with that for Cam here, uh, especially with three-point shooting. He's too good of a shooter and to, to be at that level, and I agree. I think it's just because of the rock falls in his hands and the team is like, go get one. You know, Despite what you said about their offensive play style, they are. It is working for them right now. We'll see how long it works for them in the tournament. Um, but Cam Thomas is, uh, is an exciting scorer, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Agree 100%. 100%, man. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in, listening, subscribing, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, hitting the subscribe button on the YouTube channel liking our Facebook page, following us on social media, Twitter at draft deeper, always engages in conversation. We're always looking for it. Um, and, and we just appreciate all the support that's been coming our way lately. I can't thank you enough. What we kind of have coming next for the podcast, we are going to launch a series talking about some of these exciting NBA rookies. That's, that's something that I've been looking forward to. I know that's something that Cole's been looking forward to our producer, Kevin, Cannot wait for us to talk about LaMelo Ball because that means we're ultimately going to talk about his brother Lonzo Ball. And we're actually going to get some comments. We're, we're, we're going to get some comments with that one. And we're probably going to dig into LaMelo a lot more next week with a special guest. So definitely stay tuned for that. But, yeah, I have some, some guests that I want to have lined up come in and, and talk about some of these rookies. And from there, we will evaluate more creative ways to talk about some of these NBA draft prospects than just – going through a numbers list on a big board. So absolutely stay tuned. Keep your eye on the website. Jared Butler profiles going up very soon. After that, I definitely want to get some stuff up on some of these other top guys like Kate Cunningham and Jalen Suggs. So everybody, thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay locked in the draft deeper. Thank you.